even though it's true, it's not easy to say. And this is one of my favorite hymns of all time. And how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. But there are days where that is not any less true, but it's just difficult to say. While we are gathered here this morning, there are hundreds who have just been displaced. Hundreds that you may know, hundreds that I know, church family, church friends in Missouri, in Illinois, in Kentucky, in Arkansas, in Tennessee, who have just, they've just had the snot beat out of them in the last couple of days. And, and while this is true, this is probably very difficult for them to proclaim right And so I just want to take a moment in our service before we move into anything else. And I want to lift up those faith families. I want our faith family to lift up those faith families. Those that know the Lord and those that don't. Those that know the Lord so that they might be encouraged, that they might be equipped, that they might be ready to minister to those all around them. There are are some towns that have been totally decimated, and those people need to be encouraged. And while we can't physically be there with them right now, we can do the most powerful thing that we can do. We can intercede on their behalf. So would you do me a favor, if you're comfortable, if you're not germ, it doesn't matter, but could we join hands as a faith family? If you're not comfortable with that, just tell the person I'm not there yet. And it's okay. It's okay. Nobody's going to be bothered. Nobody's going to be offended by that. But but could we lift up these these families? Could we lift up these folks in these areas? And I'm just going to ask you to do something. Would you just pray before I even utter the first word? And I would ask you, you don't have to pray loudly, but would you just ask the Lord to show His grace and to show His mercy on these states, on these people, on these church families? Would you just ask the Lord to show His favor, to show His love, to show His mercy? On your mark, get set, let's pray together. you lift up the churches that are gathering this morning in some way, shape, form, or fashion to hope to be an encouragement to those around them. Would you pray for believers in those areas that not only would they be encouraged, but that they would also be equipped to be an encourager as difficult as that might be. Would you pray for the relief workers that are already on their way to help after the devastation? Pray for safety. Pray for the resources that they need. Pray for the equipment to make it to where it needs to go. You might pray for moms. You might pray for dads. You might pray for children. Lord, we just come to You on behalf of these folks. 
We may or may not have names and faces to put together, but we know that there are people whose lives have been devastated and completely altered in the most unexpected way imaginable. And so we, as a part of your church, we intercede on their behalf this morning. Father, I pray that you would be so real, so evident, so tangible in their midst that they would sense you literally right beside them, within them, beside them, in and among and throughout them. Lord, I pray specifically for for believers, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them peace of mind and peace of heart, that you would encourage them, that you would love on them so that they can overflow onto the communities around them. Lord, I, I pray specifically for pastors in the area who are figuring out how to do all of the above and take care of their own lives. Lord, I pray for organizations like Send Relief and Disaster Relief and, and other, other churches that are going to come to their aid. Pray that you would keep them safe and give them the, what they need. And Father, in the midst of all of this, you will receive glory because you are God and you are good. And so it will continue to be our testimony. We will be able to sing, and at some point they also will be able to sing, How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful, is my Savior's love for me. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. You may be seated right where you are. I want to go ahead and uh, dismiss our third, fourth, and fifth graders. They are going to head out this door with Mr. Larry and Miss Carly. And uh, so if you're third, fourth, and fifth, you want to come this way. If you are kindergarten, first, or second, I want to invite you to come down here. Cadence and Miss Julie have the packets over there. Uh, so third, fourth, and fifth are heading this way. Uh, K1 and 2 are heading that way. Uh, Stevens, if you could bring me my Bible and my, uh, my, my notes, I would actually be able to preach. Um, just saying. Um, so, yes, please. A couple of things just from an informational standpoint. Uh, we were not, thank you, babe. We were not planning on taking any kind, there is no admission tonight. There's, there's no ticket. There's no anything. We just want you to invite people. Uh, and we were not planning on taking an offering, um, but we are going to, um, we are just going to offer the opportunity if, if people feel led uh, that anything that's given tonight will go straight to an organization called Send Relief. If you were with us a month or so ago, Bryant Wright uh, was our pastor for the weekend intensive. Uh, Bryant was the pastor that married Julie and I. He is the president of Send Relief and they are already um, equipping and sending folks that direction uh, to Kentucky and to the states uh, that have been hit uh, already by the tornadoes. And so I uh, 
Uh, we're just going to take a love offering tonight. We were not planning on doing it. We don't normally do it. Uh, but anything that's given tonight, uh, cash, if, if you give a check, please make the check out to the church, and then we will send that accordingly. Um, speaking of, of giving, just let me encourage you again, uh, as we get to the end of the year, to continue to be faithful with your tithes and your offerings um, as we continue to look ahead to what God is going to call us to do in 2022. Speaking of 2022, uh, outside uh, this door uh, on the wall, on table by the wall, are the giving envelopes for 2022. Feel free to grab one of those as our gift to you. Um, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps giving. Um, uh, it, it'll be, it, that was just as bad out, out loud as it was in my mind. Um, so, um, but, you know, God's just call, God is just giving us opportunity after opportunity. And so at this point, giving is really just a matter of keeping up with what he's doing. And I'm so excited about what he's doing, and I don't want to fall too far behind. Now, don't, don't want to get ahead of God, because that's not a good place to be either. Um, but I definitely don't want to fall, fall behind him. I want to give you just a quick story about why we do what we do. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Found this out yesterday. So we wrapped and delivered uh, a little over 2,000 presents to about 168 uh, people yesterday. And, and let me say, it's no strings attached uh, experiment was, was, was super successful. I, um, I don't think I realized how competitive people are in gift wrapping. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, Jen or Meredith, but there was uh, two ladies, and, and no, there actually more. It was funny how people would sit at tables, and they would come in all nice and stuff, and all, man, we're so excited about doing this, and about like five minutes later, they're like... <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this is an Olympic sport now. I'm <laughs> Wasn't sure. I'm being a little dramatic, but not really. So, um, but why do we do what we do? Well, here's a fun little story, and I'll 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 save the names for for later when we've had a chance. But um, one of the families that went, um, one of the daughters is just real. She's just got a huge heart, just a huge heart. Matter of, I mean, just when emotions hit, emotions hit. And um, she was just really struggling with some of, the, some of the, the clients that are more special needs. And that just really impacted her to the point that she just, I just need to stay in the car. And um, so while mom and daughter were in the car, um, mom had an opportunity to explain why we were doing what we were doing. Which turned into mom presenting the gospel to her daughter which turned into daughter accepting Christ in the van on a delivery route. Um, and so mom is telling me this yesterday and we're both just kind of getting overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm not crying, you're crying. And the daughter is literally just standing there like, yeah, it happened. <laughs> what are y'all, y'all's problem? And I'm like, but this is why we do what we do. We do what we do to love and serve and reach Brevard County with the love and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. 
And anytime we do that, the hope and the prayer is that somebody is going to meet him for the first time and begin their journey with Jesus. And we thought it might have been a client, but it was one of the deliverers. Who knew? God knew. And that's why we do what we do. Next week is just going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take a faith family Christmas photo, and it's going to be ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. Uh, and we're going to take a Christmas family photo. And so uh, bring it, and let's, let's, let's make sure that happens. All right, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you hit John or Acts, you've gone a little bit too far. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapters 1 and 2 are probably the most common uh, read during the Christmas season. We are jumping into the Gospel of Luke uh, next spring uh, as we do the Gospels each and every spring. As a matter of fact, if you don't have one, the Scripture journals are on this table right here. It gives you a chance to have the Scripture and an opportunity to take notes at the same time time. Uh, but we're going to be in Luke's gospel, but Luke is easy to start at Christmas time because of where Luke starts. Promises made, promises kept. That's our focus as we journey through the first two chapters of Luke. Um, as we look at the birth of the Savior, we're looking at promises made in the Old Testament, promises kept in the New Testament. Last week we began with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the announcement in the birth of their son John. John would become John the baptizer, uh, the predecessor to Jesus, the one who would uh, prepare the way, he would make way for the Messiah. And so we continue that journey this morning. Luke's Gospel, the first chapter, I'm going to start with verse 26. I invite you to join us if you are physically able as we we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged, a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The, virgin, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
When it comes to Mary, uh, people tend to go to one of two extremes. Uh, they either magnify her so much that Jesus takes second place, or, or they ignore her and fail to give her the esteem that she deserves. Elizabeth called her blessed in verse 42. And then she called her the mother of my Lord in verse 43. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 13 verse 7 that we are to give honor to whom honor is due. And I think these characterizations that that Elizabeth gives uh, give us reason enough to appropriately honor Mary and acknowledge her role in God's promise keeping. That said, we're going to begin working our way through the text. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Quick fact about the statement right here. Jewish people in general did not think very highly of the people from either of those places, Galilee or Nazareth. They didn't like uh, the people from Galilee. They didn't think they were kosher enough, and that was due to their proximity to and their interaction with the Gentile people, the non-Jews. In John's gospel, the first chapter, uh, as the disciples are first coming together, um, Philip, when Jesus encounters Philip, Philip runs to Nathanael and he says to Nathanael, we found the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about. And he, then he says, and it's, it's Jesus, it's this son of Joseph, uh, the one from Nazareth. And Nathanael's immediate response is, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, and here's why he's asking this. Nazareth rested uh, on about... A thousand, I've got my little toy here, um, rested about a thousand feet above sea level, and it gave this opportunity to look down over the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley is right here, Nazareth is right there, and there's always a good reason for a laser pointer. Um, and so the reason you, the reason it would look down is when this was originally... Now, Jezreel may not be familiar to you, but you may have heard it under a different name. You may have heard the name Megiddo, or you're probably more familiar with the term Armageddon. Jezreel, this was a, it was at first a farming community. But what happened when Rome took it over, this became a major military base. So because it's, it's this incredibly open wide area that is, that is just perfect for war. Uh, and if you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see that there, it's going to be used uh, at the end times. The Jews in Nazareth gained a reputation for immorality that became kind of legendary because this military base, uh, they were, they, this was an undisciplined kind of a group that just kind of assembled, and they gained a, a reputation for immorality in the other Jews' minds because of the influence of the Gentiles. So in the sixth month, it's referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So who is Mary? We need to talk about who she is. We need to talk about who she is not. Let's start with who she's not. The most familiar mistake, the most familiar misconception is the idea that Mary was born uh, sinless, that Mary was without a sin nature, that Mary uh, was was free from original sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no biblical evidence. There is nothing in Scripture that supports that anybody other than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing in Scripture that supports that anybody, including Mary, anybody other than Christ, had led a perfect, sinless, holy life. Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There are some who believe also that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her physical life. Uh, that's not true either. Matthew 13, 35. Uh, when Jesus was doing miracles in his hometown of Nazareth, uh, the people said about him, isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, or we would refer to them as half-brothers, or in his brothers uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters aren't all of them with us. Uh, they were wondering, isn't this guy just a normal guy? We know his mom, we know his brothers and sisters. So that's, that's a mistake uh, about Mary. Mary and Joseph had other children. Uh, Mary was a normal human being, sinner just like you and I. So let's talk a little bit about who she is. Number one, she's a young girl. She's probably around 14 or 15 years old. Number two, she is a virgin. She has not been intimately involved, physically involved with a man. As you're probably aware, that's going to be a pretty significant role uh, in the storyline to come. Uh, the Greek word is actually parthenos. The Greek word is actually parthenos, and the word carries with it a weight a little bit greater than just someone who's been untouched sexually. Uh, to the Greeks uh, and to the Romans, virginity was a huge deal. The god of um, Ephesus was, the goddess of Ephesus was Artemis and she was a cult-like symbol of strict virginity. Uh, it, she possessed almost a, or they believe she possessed a, a protective power over life and innocence. So, for Luke's original audience, for their thoughts about Galilee and about Nazareth, remember their reputation for, for immorality and for, for just debauchery, it would have been a definite, a definitive irony that this young lady was still a virgin. The young lady had kept, this young lady, Mary, had kept herself pure in, in the midst of a culture that had little to no regard for, for Yahweh. As a matter of fact, that fact is important enough that Luke mentions it twice in one verse at the onset of this conversation uh, of, with Gabriel and, and Mary. Number three, she's from a little town that nobody particularly cares for. Number four, uh, she's engaged to a, a carpenter named Joseph. Now, in Jewish culture, marriage is in three steps. Step one, selection. Parents serve as the matchmakers. Just saying it worked for them. It worked for the Son of God. <laughs> parents would, and parents spent as much time courting the potential spouse's family as they would the, 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 the child themselves uh, because they wanted to make sure that it worked with the family. When they, re, when they came to the conclusion that it worked, they would come to a formal agreement. There would actually be a contract that was put together, a formal agreement, would involve a dowry, would involve the exchange of, of goats and livestock and things like that. Uh, and so and how many goats is your daughter worth? Things like that. Um, uh, but what happens then, you go from selection to step two, and step, step two was the betrothal. 
And betrothal was when you were legally bound, although you had not been physically intimate. You were legally bound, but you had not yet been physically intimate. What the groom would do during the betrothals, the groom would go and he would prepare where the home was going to be. He would prepare where they were, the family was going to, to live and to raise their family. And pregnancy during the betrothal would have been considered an act of adultery that was punishable by stoning. To get pregnant during the betrothal period would have been considered an act of adultery that was punishable by stoning. So when you look back at Matthew chapter 1 and you see Joseph's response, you understand this level of integrity and this level of character that Joseph has. If you have a chance, go back and read Matthew chapter 1. Step 3 is the ceremony. It's the ceremony, it's the celebration, and it is the consummation of the marriage. It is uh, now they're married in every sense of the word. They're married culturally, they're married socially, they're married legally, and they're married biblically. Uh, that's where we, but where we are in the story, Mary is in the betrothal stage. She is in that legal binding agreement without the physical intimacy. She is a betrothed virgin waiting to celebrate her vows to this carpenter named Joseph. The fifth thing we know about her, we know her name's Mary. The name Mary means favored, means beloved, or it means full of grace. Now stay with me because what I'm about to say is really important. Verse 27, the virgin's name is Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now this verb, this verb is a perfect passive meaning. It's a perfect passive meaning. Now, what does that mean and why is it important? It goes back to the first misconception of Mary, that somehow she might be sinless, that somehow she might be considered righteous in and of herself. Greetings, favored woman. It's a perfect passive verb, and this is what it means. It means that the action is being completed by someone else on the other person. The action of finding favor, the action of filling with grace, the, uh, the action of being blessed is happening by someone else onto someone else. In this case, the person receiving the favor, the person being filled with the grace is Mary, and the person doing the action is God. Why? Because God is always the center of the story doesn't mean that we ignore Mary and we don't give her the rightful place of honor that she is due. Romans 13, 7, give honor to whom honor is due. Mary is a big deal, but Jesus still takes center stage. Let's keep reading. Verse 28, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What we're witnessing here is the first glimpse of Mary's character. We'll see it play out again in a few verses, but the, the fear she's experiencing is, is a genuine humility. Who, who am I? I'm, I'm just a simple girl from a place that no one really cares about. I'm engaged to a young man with a common name and a common job. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. 
says, God has chosen the fo- what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world so that when something eternal happens, when something eternal happens in and through our lives, we can't help but share it with others. But when we talk about it with others, the only thing that we can talk about, the only person that we can talk about, the only thing we can possibly share is what God did. And we point to Him. We didn't provide enough presents for the 185 people that we delivered things to. We didn't save the little girl in her mother's van. God did that. Jesus did that. He did it through us, and we had the opportunity to be the conduit. But God is the one who provided the resource for every present. God is the one who put gas in our tanks. God is the one who gave us the routes. God is the one who gave us the people to visit. God is the one who came down into that van and saved that little girl for all eternity. All glory goes to God. And so what he is saying here is the favor, the grace, the blessing comes from God and goes on Mary. She's like, who am I? Why? Because she may be considered foolish. She may be considered weak. She's not being considered strong. She's not being considered wise. Why? Because God's looking at us going, if I can use her, I can use any one of you. And then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son. Now let's pause right there real quick. Because the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Luke, 700 years before Mary, 700 years and at least nine months before Jesus, his message in chapter 7, verse 14, he says this, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son. And you'll name him Emmanuel. Well, hold on, that's not right. They named him Jesus. It's still a promise made. It's still a promise kept. Here's why. Now listen, you will give birth, and you will, con- you will, you will conceive, and you'll give birth to a son. And you'll name him Jesus. Okay, why do they name him Jesus? Why don't they fulfill the prophecy and name him Emmanuel? Because Emmanuel has everything to do with Jesus being the incarnation. With Jesus being God made man. Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't have to literally name him Emmanuel. They just had to recognize who he is and what he'd do. Isaiah says a little bit later in chapter 9, verse 6, he calls him other names. He calls him Wonderful Counselor. He calls him Mighty God. He calls him the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Now, Joseph didn't wake up and go, you know, I really want to call him Prince of Peace. I think we ought to call him the Everlasting Father. First name, Everlasting, middle name, Father. No, they named him Jesus. That was his name. But all these other things are who he was and who he is. Mary and Joseph aren't going to name him any of those, but he is a hun- they are 100% who he's going to be from Isaiah's perspective and from Mary and Joseph's perspective. From our perspective, from Scripture's perspective, it's who he becomes and it's who he, still, it's who he still is. You will conceive and give birth to a son, you will name him Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Matthew chapter 1 walks us through the lineage, verses 6. Six and seven of the lineage, in, uh, verses six and seven of chapter one, make sure that we understand the legacy. Jesus is in the line of the monarchy. Jesus is in the line of King David. But more importantly than just understanding that is the phrasing that is used. A throne belongs to a king. And a king of Israel is considered anointed. A king of Israel is considered set apart. He's considered by the people a Messiah, lowercase m. He is considered a son, lowercase s, a son of God. 
God, but Gabriel is not telling Mary that her boy will be a king. Gabriel is telling Mary that her boy will be the king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Psalm 89, verses 36 and 37. His offspring will continue forever. His throne, like the sun before me, like the moon, established forever a faithful witness in the sky. Isaiah chapter 9. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Look, the days are coming when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. In those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. But will itself, it will endure forever. Mary, did you know? You bet she did. She knew. The angel just told her. And this ordinary young lady just became God's vessel for the extraordinary. And this recipient of God's favor just became the temporary carrier of God's grace. And this virgin is now the mother of the Messiah, capital M. Yeah, Mary knew. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man. Unlike Zechariah's response to Gabriel several, several months ago, but just earlier in the chapter, this is not a question of doubt or unbelief. Um, Mary's, is, Mary's is just simply a question, okay, I get it, but how? The faith is there, and Gabriel's response lets us know that. Warren Wearsby said, Mary believes the promise, she just doesn't understand the performance. So Gabriel answers her and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, this is in no way implying like some false religions, namely Islam. This is not implying that God had any kind of physical contact with Mary. That's blasphemy. That's unbiblical. That's untrue. The phrase is actually similar to if you recall in Exodus in the tabernacle, when God would, would meet very specifically and very intentionally with the high priest in the Holy of Holies, there was a courtyard, there was an inner, uh, inner place of worship, and then there was a Holy of Holies that only the high priest could enter into. And what would happen is the presence of God would come down and the presence of God would overshadow the entire tabernacle. The, the presence of God would come upon as, as, as in an eagle spreading its wings over. And what this is doing, uh, what this, this the Spirit of God, the presence of God would come down, would come upon, and His presence would literally and figuratively overshadow the temple as God would demonstrate that He was among and over His people. And what is happening in a sense is Mary's womb is now becoming the Holy of Holies. In a sense. And if you're Mary, that is a lot to digest. That is a weight of information to absorb. 
And so Gabriel provides a very friendly reminder. Consider your cousin Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who at one point was called childless. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. That's another reference to Genesis chapter 18. I think last week I mistakenly said chapter 8. It's chapter 18 where Sarah and Abraham find out at the ripe old ages of 190 that they're about to be first-time parents to a newborn. Sarah laughs and the Lord responds. And you so funny, we always throw stones at Sarah, but I'm telling you right now, how many of us would be like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she laughs and, she res- and the Lord responds to her, is anything impossible for the Lord? Gabriel is reminding Mary, he is encouraging Mary, he is telling Mary, you can take God at His word. At some point today, I want to encourage you to read uh, verses 46 through 55. It's Mary's response. It's her song of praise. It's, it's the lyrics of her heart. It's the response to her creator. But it's, it's summarized in verse 38. This is, this is all Mary says to the angel. I, I am the Lord's servant. The word is actually bondservant. It's another word for slave. But it's, it's a different word than we might give it. The word is bondservant. Which means that you willingly become a slave to somebody more than likely you're paying off a debt or you owe something or you're taking somebody's place but you're willingly submitting yourself it is a willing act of submission Mary says I am the Lord's servant may it be done to me according to your word last week I had an opportunity to insert Hebrews 11 verse 1 into the conversation The definition of faith. Here's here's what I said last week. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It's the New King James Version. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. And then I offered this. True biblical Holy Spirit faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. True biblical Holy Spirit faith is obedient confidence to God's Word in spite of circumstances or consequences. It's not blind optimism. It's not a I sure hope so kind of good feeling. It is not even believing while ignoring the evidence or not, not accepting the evidence or being impacted. It is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. One of my trainers at the gym in his devotional before the workout asked it like this. This was, this was Justin's question. He said, are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? You can't tell me that Mary wrapped all of it around her mind in that one conversation with the angel. I can't fathom what this 14, 15 year old was going through as the angel of the Lord came to her and said, you're getting ready to carry the Messiah for the next nine months. But I firmly believe that Mary had her response ready for the Lord before the question was ever asked, before the request was ever made, 
or before the directions were ever given. Because her faith was a confident obedience to whatever God would tell her in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the consequences. Largely in part because she knew. She believed and she knew as the angel had told her in verse 28. Greetings favored one. The Lord is with you. Hail, favorite one, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, you shall have a son. He shall be great, the Son of a God most high. And He shall reign, His kingdom shall have no Don't be afraid, take 
don't be afraid. God telling you today? What is God asking of you? What have you read in His Word that you know He is telling you to do something? Who has He put on your heart that He, you know He is asking you to go share the gospel with? What is God put in front of you? Is it a way to serve? Is it a way to love? Is it a way to tell? What has God put in front of you? And do you understand that the Lord who called you will equip you? Do you understand that, that, that Jesus' birth means that the Lord has found favor with us? And is our answer already yes? Whether we know what He's asked us to do or not. Father, I can't speak for everybody in this room, but my answer to you is yes. Whatever you are calling me to do, when I want to be faithfully obedient no matter the circumstances and no matter the consequences. Lord, as the shepherd of this church, I can say our answer is yes. Whatever you call us to do, whatever you call us to be, whoever you call us to serve, whoever you call us to love, however you call us to do it in accordance with your word, our answer is yes. 
And Father, you may be calling somebody today to begin their relationship with you. And I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to say yes. Father, you may be calling somebody today to share their faith, to share their testimony, to share the gospel with a loved one, with a friend, with a co-worker. And I pray for their boldness and their courage to say yes. I pray that we could be like Mary who simply said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done with me according to your word. Father, we will commit to being a people of the word, knowing that you will fulfill your commitment, you will fulfill your promises, that you will give us your blessing, you will give us your favor, you will give us your grace, you will extend your mercy, you will continue to provide your Holy Spirit to do the things that you want to accomplish. Because we ask it, and we pray it, in the name of Jesus, and for His glory, and His glory alone. Amen and amen. We will see you tonight at 5 o'clock with your friends and your desserts. See you at 5 o'clock for keyboards at Christmas. God bless you.